God's blessing upon this message and this time together. In the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much that you are so awesome. You're so incredible. And God, we're so excited right now to be able to look at your word, the epic stories from you, an epic author. And we can just look at the Bible great stories, God, and we can learn so much. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today, God, through the story of Noah, the flood, that God, we would see, God, your grace, we would see your provision. And God, we would see your promise that is for each one of our lives. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, high five someone around you. Say amen. 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 Judah's favorite word, my little boy, his favorite word is amen. Amen. After church on Sunday, we were able to take Leo and Charity and their family, who were the missionaries with us last weekend. We took them to Piccadilly. Judah was asleep. He was in his, his car chair. We carried him in and he's just there beside the table sleeping away and he wakes up in the middle of us all eating and we hear, Amen. 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 He sees the food and he starts going, Amen. He sits in his high chair. As soon as you put him in his high chair, now he goes, Amen. Bless his heart. While he's eating, he's still Amen and all the way through it. Come on, that's how we need to be in our lives. Come on, we need to be giving thanks to God for his goodness and his mercy. So excited about this series. This is something that we're going to be visiting a lot throughout the course of the years that's coming just once a year at least just to look at epic stories from an epic author looking at the bible greats and learning because it's amazing how many people do not know the stories from God's word and we're not condemning people with that we realize there's a need and we want you to be up to speed with what God's word says but I will say this you can read it for yourself And we need to be in a daily study, really reading through God's Word and being a part of that. But we're so excited as we look at the stories. And here's the challenge I know for myself, 42 years of age, being brought up in church my entire life. I remember as a young child being in church, all I've known is church. So I know these stories. The story of Noah, I've probably heard it literally thousands of times. Literally. So the challenge we always have, many of us, is this, just to really see it fresh and real again because we can jump to the end because we already know the story and what's going on. And sometimes, listen to me, it can lessen the faith that it took for that person in the story. We can lessen the faith of really what took place because it's easy or it's the easiest thing to do is if someone says for you to do something and you already know the outcome, how many realizes that's easier to do? But when you are asked to do something and you don't know the outcome, you don't have the opportunity to be able to read the end of your story while you're still in the story, that takes faith. Come on, say with me, faith. Faith was required, and throughout the entirety of God's Word, we see faith was required. Just like with our lives, your life, my life today, faith is required. But the faith that we're going to see in Noah, the faith that we're going to see in these Bible greats, do you realize that same faith has been made available to each one of us? The Bible tells us, don't have the Scripture, but read it for yourself. Romans 12, 3, each has been giving a measure of faith. Each has been given a measure of faith. The Word of God also tells us that God is no respecter of persons. What does that mean? He doesn't look at someone higher than other people. So here's what I believe. If God's given everyone a measure of faith, He's not given people more faith than other people. He's making it all available to us. The question is this, how much are we cashing in? What are we using? What are we applying? Where are we basing that faith? I'm preaching already. It's just my introduction. Got to steady on. But in the story of Noah, we're going to see a story of such faith. 
such grace, such provision, and such promise from God. As we look at Noah and the ark, we've titled this message, The Flood. The Flood, because that's pretty much the important part of the story. And it's impossible, I realize, for us to cover every verse of the story. It's actually four chapters, the story of Noah. Genesis 6 through Genesis, or the middle of Genesis 9. 85 verses. If we were to go through a verse a minute, we'd already be here an hour and a half. Not going to keep you an hour and a half today. So we're going to just highlight and look at actually seven key points and thoughts of this story that I really think can help his story become your story. That you can see your life in the life of Noah. And I'm so glad today that we can discover the story of Noah from God's Word and not from Hollywood. Some of you may have seen that movie. I never actually went to watch the movie. Some of you seen the movie. And, you know, we, people can have all their debates and questions about it. But one thing I will say about the movie, something good it produced, and that was this. The story of Noah was one of the top Google-searched stories in, the, in, in what was happening at that time. So, listen, it got people into God's Word. It got people reading God's Word. And I pray that they discovered the truth of God's Word. And, and as I said, you're going to need to fill in the gaps. But as a family, why not take this over this week and read through the four chapters, share with your children and talk with them because in children's church today, they're going to be covering this too. In youth, they're covering these stories. As a church, we're covering these stories in every base and just moving people forward. So let's begin to read the story. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 6.6 or if you want to follow on screen, that is great. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. It didn't take long for sin. Remember last week we talked about Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. And how sin doesn't just stop with Eve. She passes it on and then it easily pollutes mankind. It didn't take long for sin to spread in such a powerful way that God even himself regretted that he had made man. That's how sin is. It wants to run rampant throughout this world. So the Lord said... I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Again, the effects of sin hadn't just affected the human rights. Now animals, everything now was under the judgment of God because of sin. God wanted to wipe it all out. God wanted to do away with it all. But I love verse 8. Here's the story of grace. Are you ready? I love verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Can you picture this? I'm very figurative when I read stories. I'm I'm there, I'm in there, I'm putting myself in the story. Can you picture God looking out at the world and seeing the darkness, seeing the sin, seeing just the decadence, the decay, the, the filth, just everything that's going on. He's so disappointed to the fact of he's just repenting, he's sorry that he ever made man. I'm going to do something. And he's looking out. But all of a sudden, right in the middle of the darkness, there's like a beam of light. There's like a beam of light. And and God kind of focuses in and he homes in. And as he looks at this beacon of hope in the middle of all the darkness, his one man, just one man called Noah that is standing out. He's finding grace. He's finding favor with God. Why is this? What is separating? What is making Noah different from anyone else? Well, let's read on. Verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. This is his life. This is his character, in other words. This is who Noah is. Who is he? It says that Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generation. I love that. You could preach a whole message just on that thought. But notice this. Here's the key. Are you ready? Noah walked with God. It didn't say Noah was sinless. Nowhere did it say he was perfect in the fact he was sinless. But the Bible clearly says above everyone else or amidst everyone else, he was different. There was a difference about him, and that difference was because he walked with God. Point number one, are you ready? Relationship makes a difference. Relationship makes a difference. It was that which distinguished Noah. It doesn't tell us how he served God. 
It doesn't tell us what he did differently from everyone else. It doesn't tell us that he went to church five times a week and everyone went three times a week. It doesn't tell us that he read his Bible more than anyone else. It doesn't tell us the actions of what Noah did, but it tells us the result of the life that he lived. And the result is this. He was a just man. He was honest. He did things right. Come on, which resulted in what? He was a perfect example to his generation, his classmates, those around him, whatever they were doing. Noah did not do those things. He was perfect. He stood up for God and lived a righteous life. Noah was recorded as being a righteous man. You know the problem sometimes with certain words is we think they're so spiritual. The word righteous for us tends to be a spiritual word. I want to tell you something today that righteous is not just a spiritual word, it's a practical word. Come on, it's a practical word. If you look up in the dictionary what the word righteous means, it means this, doing right. That's an act in our lives. Come on. It, righteousness is not just claiming these things. Righteousness is living these things. Come on. It has to be practical. If not, it's hypocritical. Why? Because you're saying one thing, but you're not living the other. So to be righteous means doing right, to be virtuous, behaving rightly, to be proper. Noah was a righteous man. It wasn't just a confession of his life. It was the way he lived. Why? Because relationship makes a difference. I love what was said of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. They've just seen God move powerfully and they've seen lives touched and changed and they're now standing before the religious leaders. And look what the religious elect, those that knew the Bible, the Word of God, the law of God, inside and out, look at the conclusion they came to of a couple of people who were ignorant and unlearned. Look what it says in Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, They marveled. And here's their conclusion. Are you ready? They realized something. And here it is. What made them different is this. They had been with Jesus. Come on, as a result. Come on, I wish someone would help me preach today. As a result of relationship with Jesus, ignorant, unlearned men now have a boldness, now have a power, now have a different it factor in their life that makes them different from everyone else. That people are scratching their head and saying, what? is it? They've been with Jesus. Come on, if you are living with Jesus, if your relationship is where it needs to be with Jesus, you're going to be different. Come on, you're going to be different. You're not going to have to work on it and wonder how. It's just going to begin to happen in your life, but then you've got to be righteous. You've got to put it to work in your life and you've got to begin to live it out. Relationship makes a difference. It makes a difference between a person who God can use to impact this world and a person he cannot use. Relationship makes a difference. Noah had a big impact. Can anyone say amen? Noah had a big impact. You're here today because Noah was a righteous man. You're here today because the human race was saved because someone had a relationship with God while no one else did. Come on, there's so many parallels in our life. Who needs to be in this church that is not here but can be here because you can impact their lives through your relationship with God? Because relationship makes a difference. No matter how dark the sin was, relationship with God still stood out in the crowd. Come on, it stood above all others that it was seen. What if, what if today, our relationship with God caused our lives to be a great impact to those around us? What if we could have the same impact as what Noah did in his life? That's what we're called to do, do you know that? We're called to make a difference. But you cannot give what you don't have. You can't give out of what you don't have inside of us. Again, it doesn't tell us what Noah did to make a difference. But it tells us that because he walked with God, that made all the difference. So God found his man to save mankind. And he begins to tell Noah the plan. Let's read on in the story. Jump to verse 13. It says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Notice God says, I'm going to destroy everything. Say with me, everything. 
not just man, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm just doing everything, God says, taking it all out. But God says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And here's how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. A cubit was from the elbow to the end of the middle finger. It's 18 inches in our standard measurement today is a cubit. So when it says the ark was 300 cubits, that's 450 feet long. The width is 50 cubits, that's 75 feet. And the height is 30 cubits, that's 45 feet. I I just want to put it in perspective right now. Pretty much from this wall to the back wall, that's about 70, 75 feet right there. That is the width of what the ark would be. Turn our building around and take the width of it and then almost take the building to Florida Boulevard and that's about the size of the ark times more than twice the height of this room right here. Think about the size. I mean, it was a massive, massive boat. Come on, say with me, that's a big boat. That's a big boat. And you know, we can look at stuff and we can just overlook this, but Noah probably didn't even know what a boat was. Did you catch that? Noah probably didn't even know what a boat was, and he certainly didn't know how to build a boat. Because he didn't, there was no need for a boat at that time. So God's coming to him and giving him something. God instructs him, verse 16, he says, I want you to put a window in the ark. And you know, some people say, was it a window? Was it a hatch? Whatever it was, there was to be something that was placed in the ark. And then God also told him, you are to put a door, a door in the side of the ark. So here's an ark. When the word ark is used in the word of God, it refers to a watertight vessel used to preserve human life from impending disaster. Two times an ark is mentioned in the word of God. Once with Noah, once with what? Moses, as the mother built an ark to save her little son. She made him a little ark that could save him. It speaks of preserving life from imminent disaster. It was made out of gopher wood. We don't really know what gopher wood is. Most people believe that it was probably pine or cypress. So it was a certain type of wood. It was rectangular, like a barge shape. It was six times longer than it was wide. Amazing how God is so specific with these things because even today, ships that they build, they still use the same ratio today to make them seaworthy vessels from what God had told him. He wasn't just having a chat with Noah. He was telling him the right stuff to do, okay? Verse 17, And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And if you would continue reading, God says, here's the plan. You're going to have a floating zoo, by the way. I didn't tell you what it was. You're going to have a floating zoo. I'm going to bring two of every kind of animal and every clean animal. You're going to have seven of those, male and female. Why was there seven of those? Because they would need those for sacrifice when they came out of the ark. They would need those for food when they came out of the ark. You didn't want to kill off a whole breed just because you were hungry for some barbecue ribs. Amen. So God says, I'm making provision for you. Now let's stop for a second. Can you imagine all of this? I mean, what must have been going through Noah's mind? He's just minding his own business. He's just loving life. He's loving God. He's living. And God says, bam, I'm going to destroy the world. And guess what, Noah? You're going to be the savior. You're going to save mankind. You're going to save. And here's how you're going to do it. I mean, can you imagine what's going through Noah's mind? Outside of the fact of having a conversation with God, period. That must be pretty mind-blowing right from the back. He's just minding his business and, Noah. You know, I mean, what? And, um, and he comes and, and then God's telling him, build an ark again. What's that? It's a boat. Can you see the faith that it's required? Noah's saying, I'm sure to God, I mean, why me? I mean, they're a carpenter. They're, they're this, they're that. They're a leader. They're someone. God, why me? How? Goodness me, God, that's so big. I mean, can we do a small replica version of something like that? I mean, can we condense it down? And listen to this. And what, what's rain, God? 
They didn't know what rain was. Did you know that? God would water the earth by a mist that would come up, a dew, a heavy dew. So God's telling Noah all this stuff, and he's saying, I'm going to send rain, and I'm going to do this. There were so many opportunities and places for Noah just to turn around and say, no way. No way. God, I'm not going to do that. But listen to me. Despite all the confusion... Despite everything that was going on in his mind and his heart and everything, despite it all, there's something you need to see and that's this. God or Noah knew the voice of God. He knew the voice of God. Everything else to him was completely foreign and overwhelming. But in the midst of it all, he knew the voice of God. Come on, we've got to be in relationship to know the voice of God. Because there are many voices that are going to tell us many crazy things. And even the voice of God is going to ask you to do things that are beyond you. But when you know the voice of God, you can have faith to fulfill. Because look what it says. Here's the conclusion to it all. Are you ready? Verse 22. Noah did according to all. Say with me, all. Noah did according to all that God had commanded him so He did. Point number two, you ready? I need help right now. Jason, Jason Zachary, can you come? Can you do me a favor? Can you take this bucket for me and the the sign at the front by Florida Boulevard? There's another bucket under there. Can you leave that one there and bring that one back for me? Can you do that for me? And hurry up because we're waiting on you, okay? Just just, Just don't take too long. Are you ready? Point number two, are you ready? It may be bigger than you, but it's never bigger than God. Come on, I want you to see this today. The circumstances and situations of life may be bigger than you. You may feel so small, weighed down. I cannot perceive. I can't, there's no way I can do that. But it's not bigger than God. We're going to talk about, talk about faith in God to a new level. Noah perhaps thought he had faith in God, but it's now at a new level. I began to look at some things, you know. I just sat down and jotted some things down about the ark. Are you ready? Let me give you some stats right now. If the ark is 450 feet long and you were to build just one side of that, 450 feet long by 45 foot high. If you took 12 foot, 12 foot long boards that were 12 inches tall, think about that, 12 foot long. You know that would take over 1,700 boards just for one side of the ark, just for one side of the ark. You've got the other side, you've got the two ends, you've got the roof. And how many knows you've got a bottom that we forget about quite a lot? That's kind of important. You've got the bottom. That is truck loads and loads and loads of lumber. Noah couldn't turn around and say, "Um, hello, is this Lowe's? Um, God just spoke to me and um, here's what I need from you. I need this amount of wood. No, no, no. What did Noah have to do? He had to cut down every tree. He had to prepare every board and shape them to be what they needed to be to build an ark. I want you to think of the magnitude of that. And remember, God says, I want you to pitch it inside an ark. Come on, he had to tar that baby. He had to put tar all over that thing. And and in order to tar it, you know, the question is, I mean, how did he tar the bottom of that boat? I mean, come on, how did he tar that bottom? He had to lift up the ark to do under the bottom. So therefore, here you go, Jason, here you go. Thank you, thank you, you are awesome. Come on, give Jason a round of applause right there. Right there, right there. He had to tar the ark inside and out. The bottom was probably the most important part. So he had to build the ark up on stilts so he could tar the bottom. The reason why I had Jason run to the front is this. I was just using an example. If this was a bucket of tar that he had to carry, you know it would take over 1,600 buckets. If you were able to spread out of one bucket a 10-foot square area, a 10 foot by 10 foot would be 100 square foot. If you were able to get them out of one bucket, that would take 1,600 buckets. Now, if, like Jason went, that took him about five minutes to go to the front of Florida Boulevard and back. If he was to do that at the rate of one bucket for every five minutes, and tar is heavy. This isn't just light stuff. This is heavy stuff. If you were able to do that at the rate of one bucket every five minutes, you know that would take you... 8,000 minutes to do. If you were to divide that by hours, that's over 133 hours. And if you were to work 10 
hours a day doing that. Come on, you're looking at 14 days just to carry tar. And that is if it was just there at the sign. What about if it ran out there and he had to go further and he had to go? Think about the wood. I I hope Noah built in the middle of a forest, but trees would soon run out when you were taking that much wood. They could have gone miles and miles and miles. Why are you saying all these kind of things? Because I'm trying to show you the magnitude of the task that Noah took on. It was massive. It was way bigger than him and even his sons and even than his families. But it was never bigger than God. It took faith to do it all. And God's telling him, I'm going to flood the earth. Think about this. Scientists, don't you love scientists? They try to figure it all out. They tried to figure it out. Now, I believe that the flood that God told Noah he was going to do was a global flood. We can see this in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. We read the scripture. It says, And God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, the preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. I believe from that and other passages, we see that it was a global flood that took place. And scientists turn around and say, well, that's impossible to happen because you would need four times the amount of water that we have on the earth right now. Well, scientists have tried to figure it out and they say, well, there could be a reason for that. One of the reasons is that geographically and geologically, the features that we see around us today were probably different to in the day of Noah. The world was probably a lot flatter because if you will read the story, it doesn't just say that the rains came down. What's the old story? And the flood came up. The ground opened up and water from the inside of the earth gushed out. And they say that that was probably the case of changing a lot of the geological, geographical things that we see around us today that were impacted and affected just because of the mass and the magnitude of what took place. Some people say, well, here's what happened. That the water on this world has diminished since then. That somehow we've lost water and it's gone and and there it's possible. But you know, in the midst of all of this, here's what I come to the conclusion of. Are you ready? I love how they try to figure out a God that you cannot figure out. Come on, if you can figure it out, you don't need faith. Come on, do I hear an amen right now? Because if it's all perfect in its place, then we discredit the fact that it needed to be a God thing. But when it doesn't all fit in place and when it's bigger than us and we can't see it all, that's when we need God. Come on, if we can do it, we don't need God. And if we don't need God, then we wouldn't need faith. We would just trust. And the last time I checked, I need God. We all need God in our lives. And uh, at this time, you know, God places us at times in our lives out of our depth. So we'll realize that we need him. I said, God sometimes places us out of our depth so that we'll realize that we need him. And not just then. A lot of people need God in problems. You need God all your time. Come on, a lot of people come to church when they're having difficulties. Thank God. If you're here today, praise God. We love you. But you need God not just in the hard times. You need God in life, period. Because perhaps if you keep serving God and living for God, you won't be in the hard times so much. Didn't say you wouldn't have them. But they may be less and fewer and further between. But even in the hard times, you will still know God and you will trust him. So we don't get to figure out God. Are you with me? We don't get to figure out all God. But yet we get to have faith in an awesome God. With the water, here's the deal. If God just wanted to turn the taps on in heaven and just let it keep running down, he's able to do that. God can do anything. God works with things, we know that, but God also can work beyond the human reasoning and human mind. He's the creator. He's the source. Come on, he's able to do it. Come on, just say with me, he's God. That's enough, isn't it? He's God. He, he can do it. Look at this statement. Are you ready? A miracle is a miracle because it goes beyond what man's reason and ability can do. And it can only be credited back to God. The reason it's a miracle is because what? I can't heal cancer, but God can. Come on right now. The reason it's a miracle is because doctors have to scratch their head and say, I don't know how this happened. This is impossible. The only reason it could ever happen is because of another power. We know that another power. That's Jesus. Do you see that? A miracle is a miracle because you cannot do it. If you can do it, it's not a miracle. A miracle is that which only God can do, maybe bigger than you, 
But come on, we serve a miracle God. It's never bigger than God. Come on, shout amen. It's never bigger than God. Don't forget God's greatness. In the midst of it all, thank God it was bigger than Noah, but never bigger than God. But Noah still had to do it. Number three, are you ready? It still requires you. Come on, it requires your action, you to do it. Was it hard work for Noah? Sure was. Was it tough work? Sure was. Took him almost about 100 years, they say, to build that baby. That's a long time. It's a long time to build an ark. And I'm sure there were many days he felt like giving up. But look what happens when Noah did. What will happen if we do what God instructs us to do? Look what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6. And by faith, there it is, by faith. He didn't have it all, but he trusted God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, he moved with godly fear. He obeyed God, took God at his word, and he prepared an ark for what? For the saving, come on, read it with me, for the saving of his household. Come on, say that one more time. For the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. I want you to see something here. Through Noah's obedience to do, he provides a place of safety and protection for his entire family. Come on, he provided a place of safety for his family. I haven't got time, but we see the scriptures compare the story of Lot with the story of Noah. Lot led his family and made the wrong decisions and the wrong choices and ended up losing almost everything. But what do we see? But Noah built an ark for the protection and for the safety of his family. Come on, we've got to follow God's way. We've got to be in the house. Come on, parents adults. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to be in relationship with God because we're not just building an ark for us. We're building an ark for the protection and the future and the safety of our children, of our family. Come on. My number one ministry is what? It's my family. Come on. My family is my ministry and my ministry is my family. Don't forget that. You may say, well, pastor, my family's lost. My kids are not saved. My husband's not with me in church today. They've decided not to follow God. You know what I'm going to tell you? Build an ark. Come on, build an ark. You be in the house. You be prayed up. You be fired up. You be living for God. You build an ark because one day the the storms of life are going to come and they're looking for a place of safety and refuge. Come on, you build an ark for them to be saved must move on. But I I really feel this, that Noah's story can be your story. Why? Because there's a lot of things that we're facing that are bigger than us. They're scary. Things that we don't always have the answers to. But that's not an excuse to have faith and trust God. That's not an excuse to have a life of no action. Come on, we've got to do what God wants us to do. In verse 18, God makes a covenant with Noah. I love this. God makes a covenant with Noah. He says, I will establish. Come on, I will establish my covenant with you. And you will go into the ark, you and your family. God never breaks a covenant. We do, but God doesn't. But even if we break a covenant with God, you know what restores that covenant again? Obedience. Obedience to do and to be what God has called us to be reestablishes the covenant. Come on, we've got to move on. We're not even in the ark yet. It hasn't even rained yet. Come on, say, Pastor, move on, move on. Where's the flood? Where's the flood? Genesis 7 verse 1. Then the Lord God said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household. There it is again. Build a place for his family. Build a place. Pastor Philip, why should I serve in the house? Because you're doing it to build a place for your family. Come on, you're building a place. You may not have family. Build it for your church family, for the family of God. Come on, make provision. Come on, build the house of God. You and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous. What an incredible thing for God to say. That I've seen in you that you are righteous before me. In, in the light of all your peers, in your generation, in your family, in your life. He remained the course. He didn't waver. 
He didn't quit. Here's point number four. You ready? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Opportunities will be plenty, but there's no covenant that's established in quitting. Answers are not behind you, but they're ahead of you. And we'll never get there if we quit. God never promised it would be easy. Certainly wasn't for Noah to build an ark piece by piece. It wasn't easy. But what God did promise us was this, accompaniment for the journey. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Come on, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And again, God begins to tell Noah about the floating zoo, about the animals, those clean and unclean, and everything that he was going to bring. And I love again verse 5. It says this, chapter 7, verse 5, And Noah did according to all that the Lord God commanded him. We heard that before, didn't we? We heard that before. It wasn't just something he did. It was something he was still doing. Come on, don't let your Christian walk and your relationship with God be something you did. It needs to be active, ongoing. Come on, the Bible says in Hebrews that we are, what? We're to be living a saved life. Come on, we're to be saved every day as a process that God's bringing us through. It's not a just one-off experience. Come on, it's a lifestyle. Come on, we repent and we're saved, but the salvation walk is an experience that we need to live out and we need to walk out with God. He had character. He kept going. Miraculously, can you see all the animals begin to file in? It's amazing that you've got to realize back then too that the animals, they weren't predators. There wasn't those that they preyed on others. The animals of this time, most people believe they were all vegetarians. They, they got on with each other. That's why the Bible speaks about in the future, in the new heaven, in the new earth, that the lion is going to lay down with the lamb again. Why? Because there's not going to be unrest. There's going to be perfect peace in what God has. They were all led into the ark. Verse 16, so that those who entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord God shut them in. Come on, God shut the door. Point number four, five, are you ready? Let God close the door. Let God be the doorkeeper of your life is what we're saying. Let God be the... God had to shut the door of the ark. You know why God had to shut the door of the ark? Because Noah and his family would have opened it. What do you mean? When the floods became, do you think, where was the place that everyone ran to? Everyone ran to the ark. Everyone wanted to try and get in the ark. Can you imagine? Come on, Noah, open it up. I'm your BFF. We went to school together. We played football together. Come on, let me in. Let me in. Can you imagine what must have been going through Noah and his family here and the screams and the cries? Just human nature for us would be... Come on, we've got to save them. We've got to save the in-laws. We've got to save the families. We've got to bring in all those kind of people. But if Noah and his family would have opened the door, everything would have been lost. I wonder today what doors God needs to close in your life. I wonder what doors God needs to close in your life. Doors that you keep opening, places that you're doing, people that you're around, things that you're doing. Because I'm telling you right now, you may be getting away with it right now, but the floods are rising. Come on, the floods are rising. There's going to be a time where you think you can prevail, but you're not going to be able to close the door. You've got to make sure that God closes the door. You know, the only door, I looked at it, you know, the only door in Scripture throughout the entirety of God's Word that we are instructed to have anything to do with is the door of our heart. Revelations 3 verse 20 is the picture. God says, behold, I stand at the door. I stand at the door of your heart. And it says, if any man hears my voice, what do we do? And we open it. Come on. And we open it. God says, I will come in and we'll have fellowship. We'll have a pate. Come on. God says that. But notice this, that door only has one handle. It has a handle on the 
inside. For what reason? Because you're the one that has to control that door. Come on, any other door has a handle on the outside because God is the one that needs to control. Do I need to marry this person? You better make sure it's a door that God has his hand to the handle. Do I need to go to this job? We can try to push doors open because, oh, it's a better opportunity. It's more money. It's this and that. If it's not a door that God is opening in your life, get your hands off of it. You've got to trust God because if you're opening doors and touching doors, you've got no business being at. Come on, you're going to find yourself in the wrong places. Come on, I'm preaching today. God closed the door. God closes doors in our lives, chapters in our life. For what reason? Because he's got your best interest. He knows that you can't go on with that person because they're an anchor that's going to hold you down. He knows that you've got to break free from addictions and strongholds. He wants to close that door in your life. You see the struggle we have and we can open it. We keep going back. God says, let me close the door on your past so you can sail into your future. God has to close the doors. Now I'm going to say this. I'm going to quote Jensen Franklin. Don't be mad with me. Sometimes it's hell in the hallways. Come on, when God closes a door, there's not always another room that we step into. Most of the time it's a corridor, it's a hallway. But what do we do in the hallway? We just have faith, we keep trusting God, we keep doing what God has called us to do, we keep believing God, and what happens? He'll open the doorways in front of us if we'll trust Him. Look at your neighbor and say, the wrong door open, it's going to sink your life. Come on, you've got to get this today, it's going to sink your life. It's going to bring, and listen, if the ark had sunk, we wouldn't be here today. If your life sinks, what about the people God's called you to reach? What about your children? What about the people at your work? What about those people around you? Come on, come on, keep that door closed, God. Come on, don't get mad when God closes doors in your life. Come on, and don't try to prop open a door that God's trying to close. Come on, you need to get away and say, God, I trust you. You open and close. God, I've got the door in my heart. I'll take care of that one. And all I have to do is open that one once. Come on, if I open that, he'll come in and everything's good. I don't want to touch that door anymore. I don't want to close that in on God. I want him to have free reign to come in and out of my life and to use me. But come on, let God handle the other doors. Okay, let's now get back to rain. Are you ready? Verse 17. Verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. 40 speaks of the judgment of God. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 days. No, Moses was up and got the commandments. 40 days speaks of judgment. The waters increased and they lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. In fact, the Bible tells us in the story, if you look at the cubit of 18 inches, that the waters went above over 22 feet higher than the highest mountain on the face of the earth. Over 22 feet above the tallest point of the earth. Verse 21 tells us, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, the birds and cattle and beasts And every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth and every man. For 40 days the earth opened up, the rains came down. Water came up, water came down. Flooded the earth to over 22 feet above the highest point for 40 days. And then it remained in that position or in that state for 150 days. For 150 days the whole world was underwater. Let's turn to the next chapter, if we could. Genesis 8, verse 1. And it says this, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. Now, when we read that, we could almost have the tendency to think that God had forgot him. Come on. Then God remembered, Oh, where's Noah? Sorry, Noah. Apologize. I was busy playing golf. I was on vacation. I was busy, preactive, you know. I was just planning out my next move. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible is saying there. It's not because God has forgotten him. Here's my last, or my second from last point. Are you ready? Point number six. You're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. Feels like that sometimes. I said it feels like that sometimes. 
Noah and his family with a floating zoo. It must have stunk in there. Come on now. It must have stank in there. Is that good? Stank in there. Huh? Only one window? I mean, come on, God. You couldn't have kind of put an aeration system in there or something? One window. Must have stank in there. 40 days of rain, 150 days of nothing apart from being tossed to and fro. Don't you believe that Noah thought, God, have you forgotten me? He's thinking to himself. It doesn't take much, does it, for us to begin to think that God has forgotten us. Come on, let's just be real. I've thought that in my life. God, you don't care about me anymore. God, you brought me so far and you just left me. Come on, let's just be real. We think that God's forgotten us many times. We can look at other people and we can see their miracles and we can see their blessings. We can see God doing things for their lives and we can say, God, where's mine? What about me? Well, why is everything falling in place for them and it's blowing up in my face? God, what's going? Here's what you've got to remember. You ready? I think this is such a key thing that if you don't get anything else from this message, you need to get this. Are you ready? You're not forgotten. God is just saving you. God is just saving you. God is just saving the best for you. When you feel everyone else is getting it, everyone else is doing in life, don't worry about it. God's got you exactly where he wants you. He's just saving, oh, I wished I could get married. But hey, if the right person's not there. But listen, if you're not the right person for the right person, what, God, it's not a case that God's forgotten you. God's just saving you from making a wrong decision in your life because he's keeping you for the best. When it says God remembered Noah, look at this. Here's the thought that the story that God is trying to bring. Look, it suggests the what? The initiation of a miraculous saving act of God. When God remembered, he says, now I'm going to do something in his life, through his life. There's going to be a miraculous act that's now going to take place to save your life. Come on, God has not forgotten you. He's just getting ready to do a miraculous act on your behalf. And it requires you to be in the right place at the right time. Because if you're not in the right place at the right time, it's going to cause you harm. It's not going to cause you good. So God is just preparing you. Remember Rachel, she felt unloved because God had closed her womb. The Bible says God remembered her. What did that mean? He hadn't forgotten her, but at the right time he opened up the womb that she needed to bring forth life. Come on, I wish someone would hear me today. You're not forgotten. You're right where God wants you. He's going to remember you. He's going to do something in your life and you just got to trust him and you got to be faithful to keep on believing and keeping trust. Him. Come on, God does everything at the right time. Not yours or mine. That's the problem. God, I want it right now. God says, no, it's not ready right now. Come on, it's not ready right now. Have you ever hurried God? Have you ever gone before God? That's opening a door that he hasn't opened. Come on now. That's trying to be God's. God says, I've got it. Maybe bigger than you, but remember, it's not bigger than me. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. Come on, you've got to remember that God has you in your ark because he's taken you to a new destination. Five months, the ark comes to a rest. Five months. Noah sends out a raven. Noah sends out a dove. He sends out another dove. It comes back with an olive leaf. Seven days later, he sends out another dove. It doesn't return because it's found a place to land and a place to dwell. And then God, Genesis 8, 15, then God spoke to Noah and says, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Again, that's the family. He saved his family. Come on, he's a God of family. Come on, God's about family. He wants your family saved. Come on, believe for the saving of your household. Come on, believe. So about 11 months, all told, they were in an ark. Because it says that God told Noah to go in. He was 600 years and it was the second month. He comes out, he's 601 and it's the first month. Over 11 months, they are in that place. I've got to close today. Let me give you one more point. Are you ready? Number seven. There's a promise in every storm. There's a promise in every storm. Noah comes out with his family and all the animals joy and the laughter and the fun it must have been for them. Fresh air. 
Oh, I haven't smelt that for 11 months. And just the joy. But he makes a sacrifice. And he offers it before God. Takes one of every clean animal that was on the ark and he offers them up as a sacrifice unto God. God already had it covered because he had seven of those, male and female, in the ark. So there wasn't anything lost in that. It's amazing. There's a whole message there. We can think we're losing something when we give it to God. But God's already taken care of the provision for our lives. We've just got to have the faith to do. What a message that would be right there. But listen to this in Genesis 9 verse 15. God once again reestablishes his covenant with Noah. And he tells him, and look what it says, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you. This is God speaking. Verse 16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant. What was God's covenant? He said to Noah, he said, I will never destroy the world again with a flood. I'll never destroy the world again. There's still going to be storms. Give your life to Christ, you'll never have any more problems. No, no, that's not true. We went through the ark and we did all this and God, I've been obedient and I've followed you. Mm, Turn to your neighbor and say, still going to be storms. Still going to be storms. Still going to be some more hardships that you're going to face in life. But I want to tell you today, above the storm. Come on, look above the storm. Look above the rain. Look above the wind. Look above the devastation. And what are you going to see in the sky? You're going to see the promise of God. You're going to see the promises of God no matter the storm. Come on, keep looking to God because His promise is this. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But God, it's tough. Oh, He says, but I'm greater. Come on, right now there's a promise above each one of our storms. That's a covenant that he's going to take care of you and he's going to take care of your children. Come on, when your kids come home drunk and hang over, look above and see the covenant that God's made with you. Begin to claim a lamb for a house. God, I'm going to see my family saved. I'm going to be, I'm going to see breakthroughs and miracles. What an incredible story. The story of Noah. Come on. It's a story of God's grace. It's a story of God's provision. It's a story of God's promise. And come on, it's not just his story. Come on, if you want it to be your story today, why not stand with me and just begin to lift your hands to heaven right now? Come on, God. I want it to be my story, God. I want it to be my story, God. God, give us the grace we need. Give us the provision that we need, God. The faith. God to do and to be that God we would see the promise God of you every storm and every trial but God the covenant the promise you have with us come on is greater we would like to thank you for listening to this message today We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At HeartSeas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.